Shut up and sit down. Hi, I'm Corbin. And I'm Katie. And we are the, the Vagabonds. Two best friends adventuring through the world of lady stuff, one episode at a time. We don't give medical advice, and we don't seek for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having at bars anyway. Hi. Hello. Hi. What's up? Uh, you know, nothing much. Just here in the, here in the yeah, womb. In the womb. You know, we're getting towards the end of your yeah. time here at the Carver College, yeah. or the, at the Midwest, at the they um, know where we go to school. unnamed Midwestern we, University Medical School. They know where we go to school. Carver we College of Medicine. Carver just, College I'm of Medicine. Just... Uh, not officially a sponsor in any way, shape, or form. No. Yeah, we're not. We don't speak for them, for we're sure. We're barely affiliated with them. I mean, only in... Just that they're giving us a degree. Yeah. <laughs> and we pay them lots of money. We pay them a lot of money. Most of my life is owed to them, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, only two more this episode and the next episode. And then we'll be doctors. And then we'll be doctors. I look yeah. forward to adding the the letters md to the podcast uh, description on itunes the bonds, md that's what i was just gonna say <laughs> i think uh i think our listenership and our our influence in the world is just it's just gonna go through the roof yeah and then will come the the uh sponsorship deals with nike i'm yeah. sure we'll be nike, in touch then i can finally yeah. buy my tesla casper mattress i really need a new mattress oh, so i want girl. that king yeah. size casper real mm-hmm. bad sames you know before we get too far and i, I want to talk more about this personally but before we get too far, we do have a guest in the room. Yeah. Um, Allison Oliver is here. Hello, all. And Hello. and Allison. Uh, yeah, and 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 Allison. We invited Allison a while back to uh, because we were talking about my son's um, enrollment in the Our Whole Lives uh, Sexuality Education Program through the Unitarian Universalist. We wanted to hear more about that, um, and so we invited. Allison to come here but before we you know I just wanted to bring her into the yeah so yeah. she can talk conversation about. a little bit yeah but uh yeah no as oh. you reach the end of your yeah. med school among the things that you're doing last night was frolics yes yes uh, the, uh, like 117 16th I think nope uh, this year's no. the 17th oh. a sculpian frolic scopian no escalapian can... I thought it was escalapian See, nobody, know, nobody can know, pronounce it. I've heard it both ways, so, you know, whatever. That's a really Definitely wasn't how it was pronounced last night. No. <laughs> anyway. So describe. Okay, so frolics is a thing that the med school does that is like a variety show. So each class does a 30-minute skit, and it's musical, and there are bands, unless you're an M3, and... <laughs> Um, people sing and dance and it's like a satire of our year basically. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it starts with the M1s and then the M2s, M3s, M4s. And so usually, um, like people don't tell the M1s what's going on and so they don't have like much time to prepare. And so like the joke is always that like the M1s are bad, but the M1s did really well. Mm-hmm. Like I, okay. So spoiler alert, the, there's like a competition and the M2s won this year. And it's like traditionally the M4s are always supposed to win, I guess, which I think is stupid, oh, you... like a stupid thing because last year's M4 sucked. But anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, so the M2s won this year, but I on, I was telling Corbin this on the way here. I think the M1s deserve to win because oh, yeah. I, theirs was way better than the M2s. Well, the M2s was good, but the M1s was better. Anyway, so that's just my I thought own they personal were all, thoughts. I mean, I'm not 
I, I'm not kissing ass here when I say that I think they were all pretty good, pretty darn good. It is like very impressive when you realize that all these people are like gonna be doctors right. and have been like studying their asses off for the past year, right? At least, and they so certainly like, haven't but been... yet they still can like sing and dance and like get up on stage and. What's amazing to me is the range of talent yeah. that is exhibited. I mean, you got the the you not only got the people on stage who are you know who are acting, but the 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 more impressive stuff is like the singing and the dancing and the bands the bands bands were very impressive you know yeah um and so it was was a lot of fun and 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 katie had her moment in the spotlight i did allison where she sang the uh the the uh what is it uh from the greatest from the greatest showman Mm -hmm. but the name of the song is this is me me. Mm -hmm. Um, and she sang that hit the high note that she was afraid of. Yeah, solid. That was the you only time I've ever hit it <laughs> solidly. Was, yeah, yeah. She I can smash okay. through it, you know. So just so everyone, so I'm a so I am I have been a singer for a long time. I like sang in college and everything, but I have a pretty broad broad range. So I sing soprano one and alto two. Like I can sing mm-hmm. the whole gamut of it. But so I can hit all the high notes in my head voice, but I was like using my like belting voice and that's like what was really hard about hitting a high note. So I just like want to like defend my musical chops that I can hit very high notes. It was just, I was hitting it at a belt, which is very harder than, but I did it. Yes. And yeah, I had to like burst through it basically, but it was good. I have have a lot of difficulty with um, performances like this Mm -hmm. because I have... I don't know, maybe too much empathy. And so I get concerned for people who are up on stage. And mm-hmm. I especially, and I have yeah. a pretty good musical ear in the sense that I can hear when people are off yeah. or flat or sharp mm-hmm. or whatever. And that rarely came out last night. Like the, I was rarely like, yeah. oh God. Cr- mm-hmm. A little cringy. Cringy, yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing that like Talent. we all talk about is that it's, it's, a lot harder to be on stage and stay on pitch like in front of a bunch of people yeah Yeah. it's really it's like pretty easy to like sing in front of like your friends and be on pitch but like it's much harder when you're super nervous and like like I, i was telling um so our friend austin is he always like runs our band and he's like a really good um singer and like mm-hmm. guitar player um but we were talking last night and he's like you you know like that's the best one you've ever done you hit the note blah blah and i was like i honestly don't remember anything <laughs> like i just like walked on stage and then like blacked out i don't know what happened but maddie took a video of it so it's, mm-hmm. it's good anyway um yeah so the other thing the other thing is that like people will be like what can you do and then people will just do like random shit during frolics so like um, M2 and M3 year, Maddie and I both did cheerleading things in Frolics okay. just because like it's visually interesting. Right. Mm. And then one of the, I think he's an M3 or an M2, I can't remember, but did like a lot of tumbling and stuff. Almost every class had like at least a backflip in it this year. But it's just like, what can you do? And we'll like put you in the show and make you yeah. do it because it, it's just like fun to watch. It's, right. It doesn't matter. Like we did the cup song from Pitch Perfect. That's pretty Because that's just mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Yeah. No one's cup went flying, which happened every time in practice. So I was very happy about that. There's something to that. Uh, now you're you're under pressure. Yeah. It's gonna. It's probably gonna work. Yeah. But anyway, it was good. Uh. Yeah. But Corbin didn't get to go, which was sad. I know. But she can watch me sing. Yeah, I'll watch the DVD <laughs> later. Maybe if you had come, I would have won 
the award. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So the other thing that happens at this is Maybe like if I had voted. Our, for... Yeah. Okay. I, I, I actually have a question about. Okay. So the other thing that happens at Frolics. I don't know. This is why I have I a delete about. a lot of those emails. Okay. So the other thing that happens at Frolics <laughs> is that the awards are given for like student and staff and faculty, and so Dave was nominated for an award. It was like the staff of the year, right? Yeah. Like the OSAT. Yeah. I was I was very excited to be nominated. Yeah. Because Dave is awesome. So we like all know what Dave does on Dave this podcast. Dave is pos- our staff of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so we all know what Dave does on this podcast, but he also does like so much at the College of Medicine and he interacts with students a ton. And so, I don't know, I, you deserve that nomination for sure. Well, also, you improved the workplace. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Anyway, unfortunately, he didn't win. I think he got robbed. He doesn't. Well, I didn't get so, robbed. The person apparently. who won does many things for you. The person who won helps you guys pass step two. CS, CS. clinical CS. skills. Not, I know. Not CK. But she helps anyway. you. But she does a lot to do that. And, and she does a very good job of preparing us, I got to say. Because right. when I took to step two CS, I was like, this is a breeze. Yeah. So, so in, in the sense that she helped you get to be uh get, gets you to the place where you can actually be a doctor she helped you i'm yeah but okay you do you know how many questions I'm magical i'm magical okay. in my own ways but do you know how oh. many oh, questions like, on the yeah. interview trail i got about my podcast versus my experience <laughs> with the sps at school <laughs> like a million times more because i got everyone has experience with SPs i know when you're in medical school i'm just saying that dave is helping my career <laughs> I will say anyway, though, our SPs here are much better actors than the SPs. Oh my gosh, K- that's CS. true. Yeah, yes, I did yes, not know yes. that. As a former yeah. SP, I had no Allison idea. was once an yeah. SP, yeah, a standardized patient. So she also has a little extra clout around yeah. here. The <laughs> acting is much better at the University of Iowa. Yeah, it is. Well, a lot of them are actors too, which helps. <laughs> which helps right. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to talk about the voting. Okay, so we like get an email for nominations, but then I thought that. You, once people were nominated, then people voted, but I never got that email to vote, so I don't know what hap- what's... I don't know if it was based on how many people got nominations. I don't read those emails in depth enough to know if I got that email or not. It's yeah. rigged. So I don't know. It's a hoax. Could be. Witch Former hunt. SPs didn't get a vote. Oh, so. well, no. see, that's, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. That's the problem. Anyway. Oh, but I do want to say also that Corbin and I are done with clinicals forever. Yeah, as long as I pass my test on Friday. This happened on Friday. She did. She's fine. It's going to be great. Yes. Congrats. I just wanted to put that out there because I'm very excited. Yeah. Okay. As you should be. I mean, it's been a long run. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) So, as I said at the top of the show, we're here today to talk about the Our Whole Lives program. It's a Unitarian Universalist um, uh, uh, effort to teach uh, sexuality um, in the context of, uh, of well, universal Unitarianism. So um, <laughs> I wanted to start today by getting into what that means, the UU part of it. Okay. Allison, what is your experience of Unitarian Universalism? Okay. So I believe I... Um, so I did not grow up Unitarian Universalist. Mm-hmm. Didn't know it existed. Um, I grew up in a, in a torn household of Lutheran and Reformed folks. Oh, so got some Lutherans in the house, I think. No, no Reformed. Well, oh. by your last name, I'm gonna make a guess. My husband grew up Reformed. <laughs> okay. I grew up Baptist. <laughs> okay. So, all right, right, right. That's all right. right. Yeah. But so, yeah. I know the Reformed Church very well. Yes. It would be hard not to, I would imagine, yeah. from mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. having a Dutch heritage myself. Yes. So the um, so I found Unitarian Universalism actually through my work in sexual health promotion, mm. and so I've been I've worked as a sexual abuse prevention educator. I've worked as uh, um, now as a an instructor of the human sexuality course at the university. And so I found the Our Whole Lives curriculum long before I found Unitarian Universalism. And so when I found out that it was attached to a faith community and I was kind of shopping around for um, a faith community that was a little bit different from the ones I grew up in. So looking for um, looking for a community that was um, where I could find other people that were also doing social justice work mm-hmm. the way that I was, um, people who um, honored um, and celebrated and worked for LGBTQ people and communities and rights that were associated with it. Um, I kept coming back to the local UU community. So it was exciting to find a, a space where I could um, find a community that was um, that didn't tell you what to believe, but supported you in your search for that. Um, so it's a non-credal faith, meaning that it doesn't tell you what to believe. Mm. It just says that we're all together. Um, we're, we're joined by certain principles and those principles include inclusivity, justice, um, free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and that we honor the inherent dignity and worth of all people. Um, which for me should be a foundational principle, I think, in any community. So yeah. that was a good place to start. And and I really, really wanted to be involved in the Our Whole Lives curriculum So as an educator. So I uh, came into the community about 10 years ago now and then started as an OWL educator four years ago. Okay. Cool. cool. So yeah. is, is OWL strictly UU? No. Okay. So it's... Um, the curriculum was designed, well, if you want a little bit of history. So originally the Unitarian Universalists created uh, a curriculum called about your sexuality. And that was released in 1970. Mm -hmm. And as a comprehensive sex ed program that was, had frank, explicit conversations and illustrations of various things sexual. So it, um, it was notable in its, or notoriety, so to speak. It was it was became famous because it actually showed um, a slideshow that included uh, masturbation, mm-hmm. and so it um, in the 1970s, and to junior high students. Yeah. So it was. Um, so there was revisions that were done in 1970s, 1980s, and then starting in early 1990s. The Unitarian Universalist Association got together with the United Church of Christ, um, who's also known to be a liberal religious religious Christian tradition, um, to collaborate on a comprehensive sexuality education program. And that's where OWL came from. Okay. However, they designed it as a way to be, they designed it to be secular so that anybody could use it. Gotcha. And so we have... Um, supplemental lessons that we can do if everybody who we're teaching is in a certain faith community, like either UU or um, United Church of Christ. Um, But the core curriculum elements are all secular so that it can also be done in community groups, in schools, public, private, wherever, um, because they just wanted something that anybody could use that was actually a comprehensive curriculum. 
So yeah, that's awesome. It is. Yeah. So the emphasis uh, of our local uh, owl program through the Unitarian Universalists is on grades seven to nine. Yes. But they have programs from kindergarten all the way through adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 25 weeks. 25 weeks, yes. Um, evenings on Sundays, and those are usually about uh, what, two, two hours? Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Which so is comprehensive. Which is incredible yes. if you yeah. think about it. I mean, it... it Compared to the like two hours, one week in health class we get, right. or whatever. Right, <laughs> right, and and the the number of topics that are considered is, I mean, it, it is comprehensive. Everything mm-hmm. from, you know, uh, uh, let's see, biological sex, gender identity, self worth, sexual healing, responsibility, uh, responsibility, mm-hmm. disability, and sex. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, just so many things, more things than I think, I I mean, definitely more things than a school could cover or would cover. Yeah. Integrating this into a school curriculum is a huge commitment. It would be a challenge to do that. It happens. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's, it's having a school basically take on like that. This is going to be a core integrated part of our, our curricular experience for our students. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things about doing it in a school is that everybody pretty much would have to, I mean, would have to buy in, which is very difficult in a, in any community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that has a, you know, a plural of, of different viewpoints that you may or may not align with those mm-hmm. values. But at least in the Unitarian Universalist situation, I mean, everybody or the people who, you know, sign up to do OWL are of a mind that it's a good thing. So as a voluntary program, we yeah. kind of expect that that's the case. Although I do see a lot of kids who the first night they felt tricked <laughs> like, <laughs> like i'm not actually sure what we're doing here but my parents said i had to come oh. and i heard owl and i thought you know raptors harry potter um, right yeah it's i feel like this is like a product of being a seventh to ninth grader though also totally. yeah <laughs> like you do just trick your teenager mm-hmm. into doing something That's because it's good for them <laughs> right it's like eating your vegetables uh, yeah no I, I okay i actually also want to make a prediction i want you to tell me if it's true so the difference between this program that's 25 weeks versus like corvin said like the two hours in health class once is i feel like you also become much more comfortable with it so like do mm-hmm. they come more become more comfortable in like talking about things in their own lives and like absolutely okay yeah see like and that makes a huge difference for internalizing the information mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like also super important, right? Then too. Yeah, in in in, uh, in middle school sex ed, you know, the first half of the hour is taken up by giggling. Yeah, exactly. And, right. And yeah. Uh, you know, so you can get that out of the way in right. like you know the first session, maybe. Or well, I mean, there's also things about sex that are funny. Well, yeah. So right. it's like uh, one of the things in, in where whether it's a f- the fourth and fifth grade puberty class, like where everyone gets together for 45 minutes to talk about. Um, menstruation and nocturnal emissions and things like that where it's like they like one of the rules oftentimes gets out like no giggling no laughing this is a serious thing and i was like if you're talking to 10 year olds about anything related to things sexual like yeah. please give them a space to laugh like yeah yeah so we we have a like yes you can laugh you can giggle there's lots of this that's been funny one of the only ways we often have to talk about sex at all is through jokes so mm-hmm. that's fine and so, yeah, but yeah, the timing of it lets us get through all of that. Mm-hmm. And 
be able to just develop a comfort with each other and acknowledge that these are things, even in the, you know, the latter half of, of the program, there are still topics that are uncomfortable because we're covering a lot of different things that simply don't get a space to be discussed, mm-hmm. yeah. especially among 12, 13 year olds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we know that we're all in it together. And that's what I often hear from the students as well as, is them saying, like, yeah, it's still really uncomfortable, but I know we're going to talk about it anyway. And <laughs> we're all kind of in the same boat with this. So, yeah, when you're with each other for 25 lessons, it mm-hmm. you just can normalize the discomfort. I can't guarantee that it ever goes away, but yeah. I can guarantee that they're certainly much more at ease talking about it now than they did but in November. To be fair, me and Corbin's job is to talk to people about their sexuality, and there are still some things that are uncomfortable. Oh, sure. And yeah. it's my job so mm-hmm. it, it never you know it's like a society is part of us so it's totally understandable that people feel uncomfortable talking about things yep um also how big are your groups usually so they vary um i'd say in the, the last two classes we've had have been um between 10 and 15 students oh, nice yeah so it is it's a nice group of students mm-hmm. and um and so always, it's hard to remember like how many students we actually have because you're coordinating around all of their schedules mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So it, it fluctuates fluctuates sometimes. in terms of who can make it when. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it's like out of 25 lessons, you hope that if they've reached the critical mass of them, that mm-hmm. they're carrying away the main takeaways for the program. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I like about it as a parent. Oh, please tell me. <laughs> so... Even if we were, even if you assumed that we are comfortable talking to our children about these topics, which I don't make that assumption, but nobody should make one. that assumption. Yeah. <laughs> um, we do not know a fraction of the things that mm. this program can teach. Um, you know, as parents, we have our own biases, our own. Uh, bits of our own, uh, you know, so much things that we don't know. Like mm-hmm. the fact yeah. that you guys cover things like um, uh, 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 trans, uh, mm-hmm. uh, tra- transsexualism. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but you, you know, you, you cover um, these things that we just may or may not have any experience in right? Um, or information about, but which ideally we would hope to w- want them to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I love about it. I love knowing that this is being talked about somewhere. I like your, the orientation program that they put the parents through, which is not, oh, nice. it's just not, it's not long. Um, I mean, it's more akin to the two hours that you get in the school, but at least they tell you, you know, these are the sorts of things we're going to talk about. We're going to show them videos. We're going to show them these pictures. We're going to, you know, do this. And they do allow parents, I think, to some extent to opt out of certain sure. bits mm-hmm. of it, but I would be, I don't know, I guess I would be surprised if that happens in the first place i mean i'm sure it's not i can unknown you're right but so that's what i like about it i mean there's no way that i could possibly know all these things Mm -hmm. um whereas you guys have a whole curriculum built around it which i appreciate well, I hope then that, that your kids are able to come back and then educate you as well. So that <laughs> Yeah, well, I, usually the question is like, uh, so, uh, you know, what have you learned? I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's where. Right. Well, that's about asking the right question to youth, too. Right. In general. Well, we're Christine and I are no experts on <laughs> child rearing. The youths. Um, youths. I, I, I want to talk about some of the assumptions that OWL makes mm-hmm. as part of its. I mean, first of all, all people are sexual. Yes. That is an assumption. 
Yeah, I start off the class by um, saying, um, by a show of hands, how many of you in this classroom have been born? <laughs> and then have my, I said, this is not a trick question. How many of you have been born? Raise your hands skeptically. And I say, okay, you're all sexually active. So let's reframe what that means here, mm. which is that you all have a sexual self. It is something that has been evolving and developing since you were born. Mm. And it's kind of to broaden yeah. that idea that what we're talking about when we're talking about sex ed is not just a certain set of behaviors that we might do with someone else someday yeah. or not. So yeah. it's try it's because setting already- it up for 25 weeks is we're covering a lot of different right. grounds. So it's, it's looking at sexuality in a really all encompassing kind of way. It's mm-hmm. already a part of you. Yes. Whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. And whether you identify yourself as being sexually active by a societally imposed definition of being sexually active. Uh, another assumption, it is, uh, natural to express sexual feelings in a variety of ways. Um, let's see. Uh, people engage in healthy sexual behavior for a variety of reasons. Um, to express caring and love, to express intimacy and connection, to share pleasure, to bring new life into the world, and to experience fun and relaxation. So, you know, there's very little of that uh, thing that we might get in other. Uh, philosophies where you know you have sex to procreate right um yeah and like for sex no is a dirty act that mm-hmm. right like yeah it's shameful how do you talk about pleasure ah that's my favorite topic well <laughs> <laughs> um yeah because pleasure-based curriculum are hard to come by right so mm-hmm. so yeah it's you know from a developmental space like and i i'm also trained in the kindergarten first grade fourth through sixth grade curricular Mm -hmm. material as well and I love working with four and five and six-year-olds because they have a really good sense about what feels good to their bodies and can talk about it without all of the baggage that gets attached Mm -hmm. to it that they'll Mm -hmm. learn here as they get older and and so the the pleasure piece is one um being able to strip the layers of shame related to like all different aspects of pleasure. This is not just about sexual pleasure. There's, there's lots of ways that we give messages that if we're experiencing pleasure, we might be doing something wrong mm-hmm. or, yeah. um, and, and that's, we do that with food. We do that with lots of different things. So, um, so when we talk about pleasure, it is first and foremost, normalizing that pleasure's okay. Um, that, um, experiencing pleasure related to all of our senses, sensual, sexual pleasure is okay. Um, that it actually makes a lot of sense that it serves all those different functions and and purposes of, um, feeling good in our bodies. And I kind of try to start off with that first, that independent of any other partners you might have or might not have that you have a right to feel good in your body and how that feels feels different for everybody. Um, what feels pleasurable for people varies, um, and how our bodies are involved with it vary. And so some people find pleasure thinking about things. And that's how we talk about fantasies. Mm -hmm. Um, and for others, it doesn't do much for them. That's fine. Um, we all have different, uh, and we we can talk about it in non-sexual ways of just different activities with which we find pleasure and we can then offer the same kind of parallels in any other kind of um, sexual interaction, whether that's um, sexual interaction with ourselves or with other partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but it's uh, the procreation or recreation um, binary that's often offered 
also doesn't leave a lot of room for all of the other things that are involved there. So I love, I love having 25 sessions to be able to build in a whole lot of context and nuance Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. in a two hour thing, you're just not going to get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Another assumption, sexuality in our society is damaged by violence, exploitation, alienation, dishonesty, abuse of power, and the treatment of people as objects, Yes, which is, I mean, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was, I actually came to this, I was seeking out something like OWL back when I was working um, as a sexual abuse prevention educator. And I was, and I was working with a lot of youth and we would get like a lot of, um, prompts from schools or administrators when we go in saying, okay, you can talk about sexual abuse, but you can't talk about sex. And they said it. Yeah. And they said in lots of different ways, but it was kind of the same message. Mm -hmm. And I said, I am having a really hard time coming in to talk about all of the unhealthy experiences with sexuality and not being allowed to offer anything in replacement to it. So I really started Mm -hmm. seeking out, like spending my time talking about healthy, positive, satisfying, fulfilling aspects of sexuality, rather than just that one sphere of sexuality, which is that sexualization, Mm -hmm. exploitation, threat um, aspect of it. Don't do this, but we're not going to tell you what you might do otherwise. Yes. Well, I mean, this is like uh, abstinence only education is Mm -hmm. the same problem. It's like we tell you not to have sex when we don't tell you anything about it at all. And it's just mm-hmm. equally does not make okay, sense. Okay, exactly. well, I won't yeah. do that thing that I don't still don't know anything right. yeah, about. Exactly. Um, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing when you're married. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to talk to you what you do when you get married. Right. We're just going to expect you to know. It's not like there's sex ed classes for people who get married. Like, <laughs> right. I like have friends who went to like premarital counseling in the Catholic Church, and it was still extremely limited. Hmm. Yes. Like, it's just not something. Um. It is healthier. I was going to make a joke about asking a celibate priest how to have sex. That but. is what they said. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Although they did, the, I think one of them did have like other couples, Catholic couples come in and talk about it. But still. All kinds of way to do that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, another assumption, it is healthier for adolescents to postpone having sex. For young adolescents. For young adolescents yeah. to postpone having sex. Yeah, this is one that um, where we talk about, and it, this is the, probably the trickiest balance that I personally have as an educator, because there are lots of times when I think adults, it's healthier to not necessarily be engaged in sexual intercourse for a variety of reasons. Like, mm. I don't think that there's anything about being a youth that is more compromising in and of itself than all of the other aspects of life that um, affect our decision making. Um, so yeah, but yeah, developmentally speaking, um, it's complex decision making, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, um, I think that there's as a skill set, and that's how we take it. We take it as a um, the decision making is is a complex skill set that involves thinking about and, and taking into consideration lots of different things. And a friend of mine who's an educator also offers this analogy of like learning how to two person kayak, and it's like, you know, if you're teaching youth how to two person kayak you're probably going to start out with some basics that's outside of the water. <laughs> and then, you know, you might start in the shallows and just have them get a feel of the kayak and how it feels and how it feels when there's another person there. And maybe they also do some single person kayaking just so they can develop some skills on their own. And, but you're not going to dump them into class four rapids um, right at the outset. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, de- it's built on the sense that there's, um, there are some skills that are involved with that communication skills, which are hard for 
lots of people, especially in a society that doesn't really let you talk about sex. Um, So it's being able to build those skills to enhance that when you're ready to navigate some, some complex possibilities with another person that you've got some skills and tools first. Yeah. We kind of, this kind of fits in, but a little bit last week we talked about pornography actually. And we talked Mm -hmm. about how, um, youth, like younger adolescents are more, uh, I guess the older you get, the more protected you are against the like harms of pornography. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we talked about that probably being the fact that, you know, you have more experience and you know more how to like engage those like images you see critically sure. as opposed to like, if you have only, you know, learned how to like paddle on the, you know, in the, on dry land and mm-hmm. you don't, um, and you're just thrown into this, like seeing these images that you haven't like learned mm-hmm. how to navigate yet. Yeah. And so how that could be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a, a pornography lesson oh, that cool. we have as part of the program. Yeah. Interestingly, it's considered an optional lesson, but it's also one that, um, I'm a big advocate for having available because yeah. I think developing that critical media literacy right. and including, mm-hmm. um, sexually explicit me- media, um, I mean, we talk about like, what is porn? How do you know if it's porn? Like we yeah. have, that's where we start the lesson is yeah, like, where were you last week? Uh, sorry. I know yeah. <laughs> we needed that definition. Yeah. No, just um, <laughs> there, there isn't a great one. I mean, it's yeah. just, no, there isn't. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of the point is that mm-hmm. there's all these part of that critical porn literacy is also, you know, taking off those layers that have told us that if we see anything sexual, mm-hmm. it's bad. And so it's so some of their so it's like being able to talk to them about not just the images that they're seeing because I'm like well we've seen some sexually explicit things so was it porn have we shown you porn in this in this curriculum and they're like no I was like well how did you know and having yeah. them really work through those things and and looking at what are some of the common messages themes that show up in readily accessible stuff that you'll find on you know any website that has porn in the title somewhere mm-hmm. and. And I think those are important skills really for people of all ages. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so how does that topic, how do you, how do you begin such a topic? I mean, you don't, I mean, I'm sure they don't just walk in and there's a picture of somebody getting a BJ on the, on the <laughs> projector and you're like, this is porn. I mean, you, mm-hmm. I mean, you, how do you, how do you start that lesson? How yeah. do you proceed through it? And then I want, I'm curious as to know what the reactions of the children yeah, are. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, so it's not lesson number one. Yeah. We don't yeah. do it the first week. Right. Um, and so, so we, I think we just did it maybe four, five weeks ago. So we're, you know, in lesson 1920. And so they've already done a lot of media critique mm-hmm. by that point. We start, mm-hmm. we start off it with, or we start off day one with, you know, looking at song lyrics, looking at just sexuality around us. Where do we hear about it? What kind of messages do we get? So by the time we've get, we get to the pornography discussion, they've already had a lot of uh, practice with critically looking at different kinds of, of media. So I start off by, well, I started off by saying, so what are we talking about tonight? And they're like, porn. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, okay, so we're going to talk. So you know, I'll know what porn is. Now Kyle nod their head. I was like, okay, so what is it? And then they're like, well, is 
stuff, you know? Right. And so, you know, and they, so, I mean, so part of what yeah. we do, and I normalize that it's not just a problem that they have. I was like, I have, you know, I use my college students as a point of reference for a lot of them as well. Mm-hmm. I was like, these are things that my college students can't do any better. So these are like, these definitions are hard and yeah. why are they hard? Mm-hmm. And so we kind of talk around that and then just have some kind of myths and facts about, um, the, the things that we see in porn, because when I ask them, like, how many of you have seen anything that you, accidentally, whatever, I'm not going to, you know, investigate it. I said, how many of you have seen anything that you think was porn? And maybe a handful of them, two or three will, will raise their hands. And there might be a couple of other ones who did, but aren't saying anything. But then a lot of them are like, I, I have an idea about what it might be, but I haven't seen it. And so, you know, so we kind of talk and really in general about a lot of different themes that, that come up. Um, or aspects of, of things in porn, which includes things that are different from the lessons that we've had before. So we talk about um, really hard to see safer sex products in porn production mm-hmm. um, and actually talk about the law that they tried to pass in California to yeah. require it. So, you know, we kind of put those kinds of things in context. And I said a lot of the, like a lot of that kind of communication or setup, like negotiation, those kinds of things about what you're going to do or not do. You probably won't see it um, if you're looking at porn engaged with other where there are other people involved. Um, and so doing things like that and say, you know, because we know that a lot of um, a lot of people utilize porn for their sexuality education, um, you know, as a it's accessible, like yeah. people are looking for things that are accessible, being able to dispel things that are um intended to and then this was something that they actually came up with like it's not intended to educate it's intended to entertain to um to titillate or arouse you know and that there's lots of different types of porn um or used to kind of shock people Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so and they kind of get that and so we were able to just have those kinds of conversations where what they're leaving with is a sense that if or when they do come across it deliberately or not um that they have some context for what what is being presented and at least to ask the question what are they trying to get across here what it, what is the purpose of it um what are the messages what am i seeing is that aligned with my values with my decision making process um and they have some tools with which to view it mm-hmm. so um the because there isn't a you know universal definition of porn I'm not going to stand there to say porn is bad or that it has negative consequences because we don't have a definition. So it can, there's a slippery slope there of saying that there's lots of sexually explicit material and um, some people might call it porn and others would call it, um, you know, some people call our curriculum pornographic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, at minimum, I just want them to walk away with some skills uh, where they, with any kind of media, um, I said, I think there are lots of messages that don't fall under the definition of porn that I think are really damaging to our sexuality. Yeah. So we kind of talk about that as well, that when we're looking at placing value or judgment on different kinds of things, what mm. are we really looking at and what do we want to do differently? What do we want to see differently? So I kind of asked them as well about like what kinds of messages or things you, would you like to see out there? Um, and that's kind of one of that we, we showed a couple of videos about, um, that included a sexuality educator, um, kind of challenging young people to put better stuff out there. Like <laughs> if you want to see better depictions of sexuality and messages, use your skills that you've got related to media and all these things. And when you grow up, like 
we'll happily take any kind of, uh, you know, various kinds of media that you want to use to celebrate sexuality in a different way and put it out there. So interesting approach. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, and I think that's, I think that's important because it's, it's not just that a lot of approach to porn is like, it's just pervasive and it's everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, that it's just something we, we have to deal with. And it's like, well, there are some strategies for navigating that, which include um, putting other things out there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's important. Yeah. I uh, saw this diagram, the circles of sexuality on the, uh, on one of the brochures um, from the Unitarian Universalist Society mm-hmm. is the circles of sexuality. And basically it's pretty much a lot of what we're talking about the different areas of sexuality and how they align with values. Things like uh, sensuality, intimacy, sexual identity, sexual health and reproduction, sexualization, things like flirting and media consumption, as we've been talking about. Um, and, you know, how I, th- I think what this diagram is telling us is, you know, it's important to take all those things and integrate them into our values and then use those values to, um, to work within those different Spheres. areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll put a, I, th- I think we should probably put a link to that in the, sh- in the show notes so people can see that. I wanted to talk also about um, what, what information is given about sexual identity and um, biological sex versus yeah. um, sexual identity and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I think, that is something that's going to be. Um, I don't even know how changing. to talk about these things. Still, you know, like I still yeah. talk about like and and stuff and that and stuff that, that stuff in that one circle over there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so the sexual identity and gender identity. So one of the things that we did, for example, to talk about gender identity was we have a panel of folks who um, have a gender do- that doesn't fit neatly into a binary, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so we um, we invite people to come in and to speak to the youth. Um, a lot of youth now have, uh, will identify knowing someone who is trans, um, and increasingly will identify as knowing somebody who is gender non-binary or gender queer. Yeah. This is fascinating to me because as a child, this was not a thing right, for mm-hmm. me or for anybody I knew. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that now mm-hmm. my middle schooler knows people who are, you know, gender nonconforming, trans, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, fascinating to me mm-hmm. and lovely, I think. But yeah. Anyway. It, yeah. And I think it's, it's about bringing kind of old things new. So it's, um, the, it's not mentioned a lot in the curriculum, but the, the notion of like biological sex as being like your, your sex assignment compared to gender identity is, shifting in terms of what we're finding research it's an evidence-based you know it's an evidence-based curriculum so and we're finding out more and more things about gender that suggests that there might be some aspects of our sense of self that are biological Mm -hmm. um that are genetically um involved you know and so we can't just say the gender is our social aspect and our biological sex is our biology because our sense of self in terms of gender is also something that increasingly people are acknowledging is something they're born with. Mm-hmm. Um, and gender expression mm-hmm. is something that's more socially um, informed. But um, even our definitions of what biological sex is compared to gender 
is starting to shift and, and the student's going to be a part of that, mm-hmm. you know? And so there, so the way that we talk about gender identity in terms of that sense of self, of how that, how they fit in into a social world, um, and talking about it more as like kind of a constellation as opposed to even a continuum, um, lots of different possibilities. And then, um, and then we also have our, uh, discussion about sexual identity that also continues to be expanding in terms of how people talk about it. And, and so talking about, um, all the different aspects of how people might identify their, who they literally orient themselves toward, um, in romantic and sexual ways. So talking about, um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, asexual, um, increasingly I've young people are acknowledging um, that they have friends who identify as asexual or aromantic. Demisexual. Demisexual, gray sexual. Um, and, and so, and it's more and more, and, and there are more and more online communities like so that um, offer exposure and a place of affirmation for, for people. And most of those are, are your under thirties mm-hmm. um, that have really been, especially in the, in the, um, in the ace or asexuality community that have been, um, explaining their experience, um, to others. So it's been really fun, um, to, to do that. But what I was saying about old things becoming new again, was that, you know, pre-colonialism, there were lots and lots of societies worldwide that had multiple genders, lots of different ways of looking at, at sexual orientation. We see little fragments of them, um, around the world. Um, we see, we saw it in, um, in our Native American or First Nations um, communities with uh, third gender, um, two-spirit, like various different interpretations mm-hmm. of, of, of those. And I think in terms of the, the justice and inclusivity aspect of OWL is also increasingly including the role that colonialism has had, particularly Western European colonialism had on shaping our sexual beliefs and understandings in a way that was not necessarily, um, always there. And so different kinds of, of sexual mores and, and, um, scripts that were given that in that justice and inclusivity place is about acknowledging what were the beliefs and understandings about gender and sexuality before this particular kind of, um, of colonialized enforcement of different, experiences was was Mm. put into play so that's interesting yeah i never thought about it in terms of that before colonialism redefining abstinence well so i was going to talk about this when you brought up the like uh, i can't remember what the wording was but like the that like a sexual debut essentially is like safer when you're older oh yeah okay so Mm -hmm. like like, right, like, people talk about, like, P-I-V sex. Like, that is, like, yeah. the definition of, like, losing your virginity is, right. like, penis yeah. and vagina. Like, that's what people define it as, mm-hmm. which is, like, totally a societal construct. Absolutely. But, like, if you think of, like, I mean, any expression of, like, sexual feelings, like, holding someone's hand could mm-hmm. be, you know. So, like, yeah. in that way, like, yes, an 11-year-old holding someone's hand isn't harmful, mm-hmm. you know. And so, I I don't know, like... I've been reading some stuff right now because like our current administration is bringing back abstinence only education, which is like worthless. And we've already had a whole episode about mm-hmm. and like the fact is that like we've had this like good era where like teens sexual debut is uh, becoming later. Yes. Which is like 
helpful and so, you know in some ways like i yeah, mean obviously discussed, yeah. they're measuring piv like intercourse but it, abstinence only education has been proven to go the opposite way and like what we're talking about is like well one redefining abstinence but also i think it opens up like a lot more opportunities for people who like don't want to like have piv intercourse but yeah. like feel like they need to express their feelings in some way and mm-hmm. like don't in- get into a bad situation but like in an abstinence only education situation you don't know what any of those ways are right and a lot of the absence only curriculum talks about sexual activity as i remember seeing one that was a, literally a boulder rolling down a hill and so <laughs> don't even get the boulder rolling mm-hmm. because you can't stop the, the the message was that you can't stop the boulder rolling down the hill it has to run its full course you can't stop the boulder halfway down the hill was the whole point of the message and which also which is ridiculous also right, makes right. an assumption it's, that like everyone's pinnacle of like sexual desire is like penis and exi- right. exactly <laughs> like penetrative yeah. sex is right. the yeah. end goal of everything well and also that, like I, completely I, ignores the like idea that consent is like you can take it back at any time right. you know yeah. it's what's it called it's um reversible or whatever you know like there's it's like, retractable retractable yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you that's the word i was looking for yeah which yeah. is like okay you can stop it like at, you should be able yeah. to at any point that's like healthy yeah you could spend a whole episode yeah. just picking apart that one analogy of yeah. rolling yeah. down the hill i've no oh, well, doubt I I it's mean, a terrible i thought it meant like I just imagine was... it, like if we live to be 200 years old someday you know by the time we're 200, we'll have had every single kind of sex, and that's the only. The, those are the only things we'll enjoy because the boulder rolled down that hill and just collected all this sex. Right. And now we're, <laughs> and now yeah. we're a big sex mess at the end. Yes. Yeah, I think that big is sex one thing mess. That... Name of my new band. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that is one thing that like. So Katie and I actually both are from like very conservative areas. Yeah. We were raised in conservative churches um we we both both at least my public high school had abstinence only education Mm -hmm. um reminder i never had um sex ed at school so yeah i mean i had like literally an hour in eighth grade and i distinctly this is one of my like most vivid memories Mm -hmm. from my youth is that i distinctly remember sitting in my eighth grade and it was my eighth grade science teacher who was Passed with the uh-huh. hour, and um, one of my classmates, a boy, raised his hand and said, "You know, she's talking about how abstinence only, like, you know, is the best way until you're married, and you know, because you can get STIs and you can be pregnant and you can die." And um, <laughs> that, but that's pretty yeah. much how it's taught, yeah. yeah. Um, and my classmate raised his hand and he said, "But you know, if we do have sex, we can use condoms, right?" And she goes, "I can't talk about that." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to have to ask you to stop talking about that right yes. now. And it, and I and I still obviously I still mm-hmm. remember and I can tell you that right now. I mean, and it really that kind of education really just it makes it feel like it's, sex is one thing and right. like yeah. you know that this is what's what everyone's working for and I think that's really harmful to like people's sexual pleasure later in life mm-hmm. too yes. where like you know only like Thirty percent, or maybe twenty percent, of women can like orgasm from penetrative, right. penetrative mm-hmm. vaginal sex. Yeah. Right. And so, if the, if you know they women go through that, or people mm-hmm. with vaginas, I guess I yeah. should say, 
feel like this is sex and it's not pleasure to be pleasurable to me i guess like sex isn't pleasurable to me right and like, or that they, something's wrong with me yeah, yeah. if or it's that, not pleasurable something's wrong yeah. with me or that they don't deserve pleasure which like i mean yeah. we should probably just do a whole episode on like the problem with piv sex because the other like i mean because there's so many other <laughs> sure. problems with it like so the fact that um well okay first i mean for one instance like sexuality changes so much when people go through menopause yeah and like the way that you have to have sex or can have sex can change. Mm-hmm. And then number two, it like if you only talk about PIV intercourse, you completely ignore safe sex practices from like oral sex and manual like mm-hmm. stimulation, you know, because like I, I like don't can't tell you how many people know what dental dams are like. No one knows what those are, no. but like they are helpful when you're like doing safe oral sex, you know, mm-hmm. and so like it's also harmful and like that it doesn't let people talk about different things. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Which, there's no, like, yeah. There's no sexual menu that people can, right. Can choose from. Right. I could just sit around all day and just like sit at my little stand somewhere yeah. in some public location. Say, want to talk about sex? Like oh, come over, hang this out. Is like my that would be job. my dream job. Can exactly. This, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is it like literally so my job. Fun. Like I, I've told Corbin this, like my dream job is to like literally teach like teenagers about sex and sexuality mm-hmm. from like a healthcare point of view. Yeah. And like, I just like, cause like I said, like I didn't go to the sex ed in my high school. I went to it at like a hospital. It was like nurses uh-huh. and people that were teaching it. And like, I want to do that. Like I want to just like go into high schools and middle schools and elementary schools and like talk to people about sexuality because it's like not weird and it should be talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also like from my point of view, people need to know how to take care of their sexual organs. Yes. Period. Like Absolutely. even if you're asexual, you still need to know how to take care of it. So, Absolutely. And, and it anyway. doesn't mean you don't have sexual sensual pleasure. Right. It means that how it manifests is different in its, yeah. own, its own way. Yeah. So, yeah, I would be much more a proponent of having an OBJN coming into schools to talk about sexuality. We yeah. had a police officer. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, great. Interesting. Yeah, great. it was. It was, yeah, Officer Bob came in to do our, <laughs> our sex ed talk. And I, was, and I keep th- yeah, I keep thinking about that in the past. Like, who? who on earth like, made that? Officer. That's like uh, so. He did the other kind of community education, like your your safety, yeah. public yeah. safety stuff. And so it, he was somebody who we knew growing up, but running into him in in junior high and asking him about STIs, I was like, "Why on earth are you qualified to yeah. talk about any of this?" So somebody's got to do it. We'll right. make Officer Bob do yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So I just had one more question before you leave. So if say you wanted to integrate this into a public school system, is that Mm. up to the school board? Okay, great question. So uh, it depends on where you live. So in the state of Iowa, we have, we actually have one of the more progressive um, sex ed laws in the country. For now. For now. (laughs) um, Which basically says we have to teach it. Like, Mm -hmm. so so K-12, you have to have some kind of sex education. You have to have some kind of HIV AIDS education. Mm -hmm. It doesn't dictate what or how, just that it has to be developed, age appropriate, evidence based. Um, Evidence is loosely defined. Mm -hmm. So, or it's, there are certain approved curricula. Um, And right now, um, at the national level, the folks who coordinate OWL are actually trying to jump through all the hoops of evaluation to make sure that all of the lessons um, are evidence-based. But since it's not one that's, it was designed as a comprehensive curriculum and not just about um, 
pregnancy prevention or STI prevention. Mm -hmm. It's kind of backing up and looking at the objectives for each of the lessons mm -hmm. and how they actually move toward that goal. Mm -hmm. So, um, so in terms of integrating it, uh, there's a lot of um, district autonomy as well as individual building autonomy. Oh. So, and this is something that the, the Sexual Health Alliance of Eastern Iowa actually took a look at with Cedar Rapids and Iowa City. Lots of variability. Um, that your school district can be a place to start. Um, it's not technically your school board, but the folks who are in charge of the health education right now is kind of the umbrella that it falls under. So, um, but those are where conversations can start. Um, but a lot of buildings actually have a lot of autonomy about people who are passionate about it, for example, will add things into mm -hmm. um, their curriculum um, at the building level um, that are supplemental to what the district-wide curriculum is. But mm -hmm. if you want to, if you want to implement it district-wide, then it can be having conversations with your school board. Um, but a lot of curricular decisions are then kind of redirected to their administrative staff. Okay. I encourage folks to do that, too, to really actually ask, like, so what is it that we actually teach in various districts? All right, Allison Oliver. Yeah. Thank, so thank you for this joining us. Amazing. Oh, this has been so much fun. Yeah, so we're definitely going to have you back, I think, for sure, as long as it fits in your schedule. Uh, yeah, invite me back anytime. Awesome. I missed, I'm sorry I missed last week, so. Oh, that's right. We'll right. give you our link. You can listen to all of us. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. We'll, yeah. we'll, uh, we're going we're gonna to end this now. Yep. Uh, and uh, so nice to have you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.